Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is a queer BYU student joining me via Zoom, David Schill. Welcome to the podcast, David. Hey, Richard. It's great to be here. Um, David is going to share his story. It's kind of, we're going to cover a few topics in this podcast just to give you a little bit of an outline. Um, David's going to share his experience. Um, he's a returned missionary from Milan, Italy, BYU student, third year in civil engineering and international development. He identifies as queer. He'll talk a little bit about that. He'll talk about being a survivor of a sexual assault and how that plays into his gender identity, sorry, his orientation. And so stay tuned for that. It's a little bit of a trigger warning. We're talking about sexual assault. We're also going to talk about, and David will give us insights on a report Brigham Young University published in March of 22 called Report on Campus Climate Survey on Sexual Assault. And within that survey um, results are some LGBTQ-related research, and, and David will give us some insights into that, and that will be helpful. David will also talk just a little bit about what's going on at BYU. I think this will be a helpful podcast if you're at BYU, if you're thinking of going to BYU, if you're a parent, I'm wondering if your queer kid would be okay at BYU or thrive, um, and if you're just trying to learn better how to support queer Latter-day Saints, um, our joint prayers, this podcast will help you, and it'll give you insights to bring us together as the same human family. Is that okay, David, for an introduction? Thanks so much, Richard. That was a great introduction. I love what you said about thriving, um, and I really want to say that I truly believe that queer people can thrive at BYU if they are in the right circumstances, if they have the resources that they need, and if they have a feeling of community. All of these things can really contribute to someone's feeling of belonging and, and, and can help people thrive, especially queer people. Uh, a lot of my work is exactly that, is empowering queer students. That's kind of a, a life goal of mine, a mission of mine while I'm at BYU. Uh, I work with the outreach committee of Cougar Pride Center, which is an LGBTQ plus resource center for BYU students, sort of as a stand-in until BYU has one. And that's part of our mission statement to empower queer students. And so we... We try and come up with resources that are needed by the community, like the Safe Housing Project and the Gender Affirming Open Closet. And we work a lot with BYU administration to work for positive change together. Uh, the events committee does really great events like the drag show and the Pride March and the Artistry Showcase, which is going to be um, just at the beginning of April. And... Um, and yeah, I, I love working with them. And pretty soon I'll be stepping into a new position as the resource advisor. So what I'll do in that position is answer questions, try and resolve people's problems, and most importantly, connect people to resources that they need, because the space can be kind of a hard one to navigate. So I just want to invite all the listeners, um, if you have any questions or you need any advice about anything, I can do my best to answer them. And yeah, I, I, I'll leave my contact information. You can, you can reach, to, you can reach out to me directly. 
And listeners, that's a great offer. Um, David's been in this space at BYU for a while. He's queer. He's a BYU student. He's connected to the administration. He's, I think he's sort of got a really good lay of the land, if that's a term of um, the BYU experience for queer Latter-day Saints. So in the show notes, we'll link to David's Twitter, his Instagram, and Facebook, and you can DM him on any of those. And David, tell us how to also spell your last name so listeners get that right. Yeah, so my last name is S-H-I-L-L. Some people will try to put a C in there, but I think that's the German spelling. You know, it's anglicized in some way. But anyway. That's great. Thanks for your work you're doing at BYU. It's a it's you're in the middle of of this experience in the LDS church and being queer. And I think sort of most of that interaction is happening at BYU. So thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah, go ahead and keep sharing your story. Awesome. Yeah, let's. Um, so what I want to do is, is first talk about the findings of um, of this report. Um, it was a really fascinating report, and the the stuff about LGBTQ um, students were was actually kind of out of nowhere. You know, I I was I opened it not thinking much, and then I looked through and started to have some really interesting things, and so I'm going to share them um, right now. So I'll provide comments. Um, why certain findings might be that way. I'll tell some of my experiences and get Richard's um, thoughts on it too. And then I also want to provide solutions and some ways that we can um, improve the wellness of queer students um, on BYU campus. So listeners, this is a public report. So we will also put um, a link to the report in our show notes. It's 18 pages. You can print it out and review it. Go ahead, awesome. David. Awesome. With that, um, the first finding I want to share is they disclose they disclose the demographics of the sample and some something. There's a lot of interesting things in there, um, like they found ethnicity wise, eighty three percent of the respondents, which was you know I think forty two percent of the whole the whole entire BYU. Um, population. So it was a really large sample size. And they found that 83% were white. And they also found 45% were male, 54% were female. And BYU BYU actually is reporting 0.7% transgender or other. And I remember taking the survey and, and I was really surprised. I was like, oh, okay, that's really awesome. And then the next one, they asked about sexual orientation um, 92% were straight and 8, 8% were not straight. And, you know, I want to put that into perspective. 8% of BYU students is 2,500 people. Um, and that's 2,500 people that identify with the community. Not, not including, you know, those who may not identify, but still experience um, same-sex attraction. And... Um, 2,500 people is more than Helaman Halls could house. It's more, it's about 13 Heritage Halls buildings. And if you've been to the Dion Concert Hall, it would be two sold out shows. So two complete shows. And that represents the number of people at BYU that identify um, as with the, with the community, with LGB plus, not including transgender students in this case. Wow. Um, I mean, that's yeah. sort of a wow and... I love the way you've put into those buildings. A lot of us are familiar with those buildings and to sort of humanize it by um, putting people in those buildings or that concert. That's a lot of people. 
Yeah. And, you know, there's pretty much, there's a really high chance, very close to 100% that every class that a BYU student is in will have some LGBTQ student in there. And so um, I would love for, for professors to realize that too, that, you know, whenever they speak, they're speaking, you know, to queer people. So, but we'll get more to that later. In an earlier study done by um, psychology faculty, they found 13.2% said something other than strictly homosexual. So it's important to know the difference here, that that this 13.2% includes also people who don't identify with the community, but um, who clicked that they are not strictly homosexual. So I imply that to mean like people who um, have same-sex attraction, but are not... um, in the LGBTQ community, or do not identify with that community. Um, And so if we extrapolate that, that's 4,200 people that identify with the community or deal with some sort of SSA. And so that's more people than would fit in the tabernacle at at Temple Square, like significantly more. Um, I looked it up and it was 3,500 would fit in the tabernacle, but we're talking about over 4,000 people. And this is a fun one. It would take 10 testing centers at full capacity to seat (laughs) all of these people. Wow. Yeah. And something important about both these reports is um, I I had some friends reach out and say, like, I didn't report that I was queer because I didn't want BYU to know, which I think is really telling of of the fear. Um, And it's kind of sad, but I also might posit that some of these numbers could also be undercounts um, uh, accounting for people who may have been too um, may have not wanted to disclose this on the survey this is great it's really helpful so so yeah basically um, there there are tons of queer people and um, so that's kind of the first message of the podcast of this episode that I want to make is that you're not alone you know, that there is, there is a community, even though you may not be connected with it yet, or yeah, you may think there is, there's not a community, but there is um, a pretty robust percentage of, of the student body that is, is like you, you know, is like um, that you may share experiences with. However, BYU um, is sort of designed for the, um, the white cisgender heterosexual majority in a lot of ways and lots of the resources are targeted towards the majority and it makes sense obviously you want to you want to reach as many people as you can and so it makes sense why you would prioritize um making an event appeal to the majority for example and so yeah, I just kind of wanted to get um, your thoughts on that, Richard. What do you think about like BYU kind of being for the majority? Yeah, I think I agree with everything you said. And I was, you know, I was looking at some other research just because I'm a marketing researcher by profession. So this numbers always are sort of my thing. But um, I was looking at the Gallup numbers, and you're probably familiar with these, David, in 2020, um, 9.1% of millennials identified as in the spectrum in the LGBTQ plus spectrum and 15.9% of Gen Z. How old are you, David? And which group are you in? 
I'd say I'm a cusper. Um, <laughs> my my personal theory is that um, if you're born kind of 97, 98, 99, that it's sort of up to you. I think I probably identify more with the millennial generation because I have all older, older siblings. And so um, I grew up as a 90s kid. You know, we had VHS and, and dial-up. And like, anyway, we had, I grew up largely um, influenced by 90s culture. But whereas Gen Z, maybe if you're the, if you were born the same day as I am and you have all younger siblings, maybe you're, the culture you grew up in may have been more Gen Z. Anyway, so that's my, that's my good theory. Take. But, and how old are you for our listeners? I'm 23. So this, you know, to me, um, represents what's going on with Gallup data in the United States is consistent with BYU. And listeners, you know, I went to BYU, graduated in 1988. I, I believe, and you can agree or not agree, that if people during my age, you know, there'd been less, just sort of less, um, it'd been less, just been easier to be queer. Um, my guess is actually the data would be the same. I don't, and that's a whole nother podcast, but I think there were just as many queer students at BYU in 1988 when I attended as there are right now where you're attending. And yeah. our listeners would look at this as a positive evolution that people can own who they are earlier and um, have a relationship with their heavenly parents and take all that shame that I think society creates about gender identity or sexual orientation if it's not in the norm. And you're in a, obviously in a really good spot of accepting this part about you, which I think is a good thing. And listeners, I don't think that changes our doctrine. I just think, you know, it just puts everybody on the same moral footing that it created as intended. But that's another podcast, so I want to stay focused on your story. So <laughs> I'm glad this research exists and keep keep sharing more about it. Yeah, so the next one um, is talking about sexual assault rates among straight students and LGBTQ students, male and female. It, there's lots of really important things in there, but I just wanted to focus on some of them. Um, a higher percentage of students who identified as LGBTQ plus or LGBTQ plus, um, this, is, this one um, didn't include transgender in this question here. Um, so a higher percentage of LGBTQ plus students experience unwanted sexual contact when compared with straight students. And this is while they're enrolled in attending BYU during 12 months prior to the survey. So um, the way that they, they made this um, conclusion was that LGBTQ it's hard not saying the T. <laughs> LGBTQ um, students made up 8% of the total population that they surveyed, but made up 17% of um, the total sexual assault victims. Um, and that, when I, when I read that, um, that was really eye-opening to me, um, especially when you consider that things are very underreported there too. I know a lot of queer students who are dating and they are afraid of the honor code and they are afraid that if they report um, sexual violence with BYU that they will get in trouble, which I think is a really valid fear. Um, 
but I just want to really stress how important it is to report sexual assault to Title IX, the title the BYU's Title IX office. Um, in this report, they said 3% of incidents were reported directly to Title IX. And that just was so sad to me that only 3%. Um, <laughs> and I get a little emotional about this um, because um, we need to do better. We need to, you know, create a safe, safer place for sexual assault victims where they can feel like they can report to the institution about what happened to them. Um, and so kind of just to dispel some myths real quick, um, Title IX will not talk to Honor Code Office. And that's something that I will say on the rooftops over and over again. Title IX will not talk to Honor Code Office. And um, certain provisions of amnesty are actually granted. And so say, say you were drinking or there was drug abuse around the situation, you aren't gonna you you aren't gonna get in trouble no matter what you you do to no matter what you say in your report to Title IX, you will not get in trouble. You in fact, you, you're the victim. You'll be protected. You'll be, um, you know, the, they will, the person who did it to you will be the one that, that gets in trouble. And so I just really want to, to emphasize that, that everyone that experiences sexual violence needs to report to Title IX and, um, and also um, reach out to the community and, 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 there are so many resources there, and um, the, the the student group I work with, we're going to be doing a whole, so April is Sexual Assault Awareness Month, and we'll be doing a whole um, social media campaign about this and the resources that are available and the, the community that you can find. Um, so, yeah, I just really want to say that you're not alone. Um, I, too, um, was a victim of sexual assault when I was um, probably nine years old. So I was super young. Um, and I, it was really hard, obviously. Um, it's one of the hardest things. It's one of the worst things that can be done to a person. Um, but another thing that was really hard about it is that in dealing with my same-sex attraction, which is what I called it back then, I was told over and over that it was a result of sexual assault, that somehow this abuse, this, um, yeah, the sexual violence against me was what made me gay or what made me queer, what made me have these feelings for other men. And um, that I just want to like <laughs> get out of everyone's minds that that is a really harmful thing to believe. It's a harmful thing to say to queer people. Um, it's sort of like kicking a horse while it's down, you know, like we, we often see queerness in the church as something with a negative connotation. But, you know, the fact that I was assaulted is the, the actual the actual negative thing that we need to focus on. You know, my, my sexuality, my orientation is not the negative. Um, and so I just really want to push that out there. Also, scientifically, studies have been done and there is no good evidence that someone that 
someone else or um, sexual violence, sexual assault can make another person to be homosexual or heterosexual. It is a complete myth that this happens. And just from my personal experience, I, I don't know what to say other than I don't think that it made me queer. You know, I don't think that it's the case that, that because of what happened to me as a child that that made me queer. David, thanks for your courage to talk about this in your own life. It's really vulnerable. Um, I think there's listeners who need to hear they're not alone. And they perhaps haven't ever talked to anybody about what you just shared with like 20,000 people. <laughs> um, thanks for your courage on behalf of all the listeners. And I love some of the vocabulary used. I love that you used the term sexual violence. Um, that's a pretty powerful and accurate term to describe what happened to you. What happened to you was completely violent, completely wrong, and completely not your fault. And I'm sure at nine years old, you might have thought it was your fault. Um, I love where I think the straight community, and I've done this too, we try to put everything back in a nice tidy box. If we can explain away you being queer with some backstory, then it sort of takes our responsibility off the table to sort of realize this is who you are and it's our responsibility to create a feeling of belonging, to create a feeling of needed, to see this in a good way that you're seeing it in a good way. Um, and so I love where you've sort of said, this is who I am. And this is a good thing. It's not the sexual violence was a bad thing, but being queer is not a bad thing. Just like exactly. being straight is not a bad thing. To me, they're both equal good things. Um, it's just part of the needed diversity in the world. And so... Well, and now I'm at the point where I, I am proud to be queer. I am proud to have my orientation. And so, you know, it, even if we, we believe fallaciously that, um, that my sexual assault led to my queerness, I don't care, <laughs> you know, because my queerness is not bad. It's not evil. It is beautiful. And, and I, I want to say that to the listeners, too, that your queerness or your allyship or, you know, like this, this idea of sexuality is such a, a beautiful thing and it's given to us by God. And, and yeah, so just to kind of equate or, or draw a causal relationship of sexual assault and, and orientation is really harmful. And so, yeah, I have this in the outline, just underlined. We have to stop saying that sexual assault makes people queer. We just have to stop saying that. And listeners, for those of you who haven't read my first book, Listen, Learn, and Love, Embracing LGBTQ Lottery Saints, that's one of the, there's all these myths, and that's one of them. And instead of me addressing it, I just let lots of queer people address it. And they've come to the same conclusion you have, David. And it's really helpful to hear um, stories of people walking this road. This is a little bit of a tangent question, but you know, you're in your early twenties. What would you say to your nine, 10 year old, 11 year old self? If you could talk to your, that younger self who wasn't talking to anybody about, you know, this sexual violence occurring in your life and may have put you in a pretty dark spot. Just that's you talking to other people too. They're in a tough spot right now. Um, what would you say? Yeah, um, I think I'm a pretty action-oriented person. So the first thing I would say is, David, you have to tell your parents what happened. 
you have to let them know and you because they will make it stop and they will hold the other person accountable and um and i think that's probably the hardest thing for sexual assault victims is opening up about it um because you have to revisit it and you have to um recount the details to police or to other officials and and it's so hard but it's so worth it to get it out there because it will also stop happening to other people um and and it can end the the cycle of of sexual violence and so i would say david you need to you need to tell your parents and um and the next i would say you know you're not alone that there are many people that deal with this many other boys that deal with this and and yeah that things will turn out okay and that um that you will be happy and even more that that you'll be able to experience anger towards this because for a long time i um i was sort of stockholm syndrome is is what i would label what what i was dealing with in this idea of like of immediate jump to forgiveness immediate like no it's okay it's fine like kind of minimizing it and i would say david you can't minimize it and you're allowed to feel angry about what happened to you um so yeah i definitely yeah i think that's all that's great it's really helpful um, let's talk just more about the survey results. Keep sharing results with us. Yeah. Next we have many survey participants have experienced or witnessed derogatory remarks about LGBTQ plus people. And um, what would you have anticipated the statistic to be of how many people have heard um, der- derogatory remarks about queer people? <laughs> I'd say pretty high, 80% or higher. Yeah, that's pretty much that's what it was. 74% is what they found. And so I wasn't, I wasn't surprised by this. Um, it was unclear whether they were talking about um, incidents that happened at BYU or in general, but um, I just wanted to put in some comments here that, um, that I've heard derogatory comments about queer people in the context of BYU and in the church. And, and I would say, um, you know, a university that is like 95% LDS really should be doing better. Um, we should all be trying to build Zion, a people of God, a beloved community, whatever you may call it. We, we need to be focused on, um, on that, on building, you know, a community where everyone, everyone can belong. And really, members of the church should be the most affirming. Because they're the one that is like we're the ones charged at baptism to mourn with those who mourn, and to, and Jesus was the first one to stand up for the oppressed. He was the first one to um, help the minority and the downtrodden, the outcasts. And so, yeah, I, I think really a big call to action is members of the church need to do better. BYU students need to do better. Um, in order to live the religion more accurately, like more fully. Um, and honestly, people who 
are in the church or come from a background of the church are like, and find this path. They go through this, this cognitive dissonance, the contradictions, this, this hard mental work that it takes to become LGBTQ plus affirming. They're like salt of the earth. <laughs> Some of the kindest people that I, I know um, have dealt with this. And so I'd say it's like, it's a trial. It's, you know, may, may come with lots of faith questioning and, and lots of doubts, but it is so important, um, not just for queer people, but also it improves the lives of, of the person becoming an ally. Love that. So, yeah. Love that. You know, I love the word Zion. I, you use that word. I love the word belonging and I, those words I think about a lot, David, and I think I used to think Zion is we all become the same because I grew up in a very homogeneous part of Salt Lake City, and I thought that's what Zion was. We all live in the same zip code, all the same skin color, we all the same political party, we all were straight. I didn't know anybody not straight growing mm-hmm. up, and so I thought that was Zion, and certainly that was great. I don't want to take anything away from that, but I think Zion is... Um, is not sameness, but it's unity. And mm-hmm. it's taking all these beautiful different attributes that we have as children of loving heavenly parents, and then it's using them to lift the hands of others um, to reach out to the most marginalized and help them feel like they belong. So I love those two words that you just shared, belonging and Zion, and just this feeling, this is who you are, and it's a good thing. It's a good thing. It's not going to change and there will always be queer people in the church. There will always be queer people at BYU. And, and yeah, I, I think we, we as, as Christians, but um, certainly as members of the church as well, are very equipped to be able to love. You know, we have how many general conference talks on loving the unlovable? You know, how many, how many stories from the New Testament of of Christ, you know, being offensive to the majority, being offensive to those in power, um, but standing up for those who needed it. And so sometimes I think we also need to stand up to power and say, no, I stand with marginalized communities. And it may not be popular, but I have the the prerogative. I have the the duty to be one that stands up for others. I love that. Yeah, keep sharing with us more about um, the research. Yeah, so this this piece of the survey is kind of the hallmark, the, the shiny jewel of the, the whole report. Um, and it, it, it covers attitudes of LGBTQ plus and straight students towards their experiences on BYU campus. So the questions that were asked were, I feel safe when I'm on BYU campus. I'm happy to be a student at BYU. I feel valued as an individual at BYU. I feel like I'm a part of BYU. I feel close to people at BYU. And I believe there's a clear sense of appropriate and inappropriate behavior among students at BYU. So um, in all of these, queer people disagreed (laughs) more than straight. So um, I think, Richard, you um, calculated out like the point discrepancies, but on each one of these, we, we see that Queer people feel less safe, less happy to be at BYU, less valued, less a part of BYU, 
less close to people, less um, they had more ambiguity about appropriate and inappropriate behavior. And um, yeah, could you share those point discrepancy that you have there? Um, I'm glad you're talking about this, David, and I'm glad that BYU did the research because I think I just love research to help us then say, what do we got to do to be better? If we don't have facts that sort of illustrate there's gaps here, then people will debate, is there really a gap here? Yeah, but, and there are um, clear gaps. But this isn't just like, oh, you're being too sensitive or, oh, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. This is this is real data on people's lived experience that are queer and at BYU and have, and have sort of said, I'm going to be at BYU and know this could be choppy water. So it takes a little courage just to go to BYU in the first place because I think everybody that enrolls at BYU at that point knows they're queer. And mm-hmm. so they kind of know this could be a place of tension for them. But I, you know, listeners, as as I went through this, um, and we'll put this in the show notes, it's figure five on page six, but on one, two, three, about the f- one, two, three, four, I feel like I'm part of BYU. Um, 50% of the queer students, they're not using that language, they're saying LGBTQ+, but I'm just simplifying saying queer, 50% either strongly agreed or disagreed with that statement. So that's just worthy of stopping right there. I feel like I'm part of BYU. 50% queer students disagreed or strongly agreed with that, strongly disagreed with that. And 18% of straight students. So the spread there is 32 points. That's a dramatic different experience that straight students Mm -hmm. and queer students, I feel like I'm part of BYU. Um, That was one... The last one here, I feel there's a clear sense of appropriate and inappropriate behavior among BYU students. 52% of queer students strongly disagreed or disagreed with that. And 22% of straight students. That's another 30-point gap. Um, The second one from the top, I'm happy to be a student at BYU. 36% strongly agreed or disagreed, while 8% of straight students. So that's a 28-point gap. So... Um, these are just areas where there's, I call it gap analysis. We do these reports f- on a consumer basis, and this is more important because these aren't these are real human beings with sort of major feelings. And I would think if we did this in our congregations, we would find the same general results. I'd, um, so I don't think we can say, well, this is just a BYU issue. I think this is a church-wide issue, and these data the gaps may be larger. Quite the gaps a, may be larger in the con, in some congregations. Yeah, I think you're probably right, David. And and so this just kind of is eye-opening research that then we I think we go back to our baptism covenants as David invited mourn, bear, and comfort and say, what can I do in my circle of influence to improve the experience for queer Latter-day Saints? And um I think we'll talk more about that. But to me, this is great data and just says that there's a lot of work to do here because Zion, to me, is that there's no gap. That would be Zion, David, is that I think there's going to always be a a group of people that are going to, you know, I don't think it's probably a realistic goal to have 100% of the students at BYU say, I feel like I'm a part of BYU. Maybe the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's possible, but it's still a mortal organization with mortal people. Um, but I think the goal here is that there's no gaps between queer students and straight students. 
So clearly there's something going on here. And to me, this is just one of the areas we're not to the finish line. We just have more work to do. More yeah. thoughts that come to your mind, David. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, I actually really, I appreciate that BYU did this so much because, um, because these are laying out specific needs that need to be met. So, um, and I, I uh, basically made this little chart here of the needs and some possible solutions to each of these needs. So some needs that were presented in this, in this figure were safety, clarity, clarity about what's appropriate, what's not, happiness, involvement, connection, and value. And I'm just going to talk about each one of these and how um, BYU, but also the community in general, can, um, can improve these measures because I... I can speculate that they will probably conduct the survey again, and I hope they include these questions, and maybe we'll be able to see progress in a couple of years. And so I really appreciate that, that they did this a lot. And the first one, safety. So first, I want to mention, like, um, I wanted to talk about what would make someone feel safe and not feel safe. And I think when we talk about not feeling safe, I think about um, a roommate situation that I had where... I wasn't able to go home and, you know, be myself. I had to, I was never home <laughs> um, is what it turned out to be. And so, um, and that was as a, as a result of, you know, hate towards LGBTQ people that I was noticing in overheard comments and, um, you know, things around the house. And it was just, it was a hard situation to be in. And so I would say a lot of, a lot of queer people are in that situation where they don't feel safe at BYU because of their, their house, it could be. And some things that we can do to fix this, number one is sensitivity training. Um, students and faculty alike need to learn what to say and what not to say. You know, I, I don't expect my parents to say everything perfectly, but I, I do expect them to try, you know, expect them to um, possibly go to a sensitivity training and, you know, have a dialogue and be told that this is appropriate, this is not. And, and I think sensitivity, sensitivity training for um, students and faculty is something we can expect and, and it's something that would mean so much to so many people, not just um, sexual minorities, but also racial and religious minorities at BYU would also benefit from this type of thing. We also need a really robust way of reporting discrimination and hate. And the student should feel like BYU is on their side. I know a lot, a lot of times what happens is a queer student may be dating and they're afraid of reporting their roommates or someone they see in fear of retaliation that they'll get reported for being, um, for being queer and dating. Um, and I see this a lot and I experienced this, you know, had, yeah, I, I see lots of, um, lots of people afraid of kind of a revenge, this aspect of like, they, they would report, hate and discrimination to the honor code office or title nine, but they don't want that person to then retaliate. And I, I see that. Um, also we need to do, we need to have a concerted effort to decrease 
the gap in um, sexual assault. Um, we saw earlier in the survey that um, queer people are assaulted, um, are sexually assaulted at higher rates than straight people. I'm not an expert in, in prevention, but I know there are people. <laughs> um, and I think that could look like trainings on sexual assault in queer spaces. And, and there are many other interventions that BYU could do to specifically um, decrease sexual assault um, against queer people. And so that's safety. Next, we have clarity. So I think this is mostly, it could be the honor code. It needs to be more clear about its policies. It needs to dispel myths that people may have about it. Um, but basically, that, that's one of the largest gaps we saw is that queer people don't think that there is a, a clear sense of appropriate and inappropriate behavior. And I think the honor code could probably do a lot to, to help with that. Um, and also sensitivity trainings um, could help with that because um, this statistic could also mean maybe students don't feel like straight students know what's appropriate and inappropriate to say. Um, and so sensitivity trainings could help with that as well. To, to really establish this is appropriate to do and say, this is not appropriate to do and say. Um, next, we have happiness. Um, I'm happy to be a BYU student. <clears throat> I think we, we could have more CAPS therapists, more, more um, that's the counseling and psychological services, and more therapists at BYU, um, and just in general, more psychological resources for queer students and less of a wait time to get a therapist. Um, I think that's something really important that BYU could do. And um, also, I, I think more allyship, you know, more straight students reaching out to queer students and saying, hey, I hear this hard thing happened. And I just wanted to check in, make sure that you're okay. Stuff like that. Um, involvement. I guess I want to leave some space. Do you have any comments about No, this is this? great. Keep going, David. <laughs> I've got a, I've got a lot. <laughs> Good. We want, our listeners want to hear from you. <laughs> um, next we have involvement and it's kind of what I was saying earlier, how BYU is sort of designed for the traditional straight white cisgender LDS student. And so let's, let's reach out to minorities. Let's have events targeted for queer students and maybe events targeted towards Muslim students. And, you know, let's, let's really make a, a more concerted effort to involve them in, in BYU and involve us in BYU. Um, also, connection, I think, is just so important. Um, I think a real weakness is that um, queer people don't know where to turn when they need something. Um, whereas at other universities, it's not, it's a no brainer. You go to the LGBTQ plus resource center and they can help you with your problems. Um, but there is no LGBTQ plus resource, resource center at BYU. There is not, there aren't clubs on, on campus um, for queer students to build community. Um, and so let's, I think that would be really good <laughs> to have you know, as a church sponsored, a, a BYU sponsored something that will connect queer students to resources that they need. 
and also provide opportunities to build connection, to build community. And because I think what's happening right now is queer people are building community elsewhere. They're building community outside of BYU and because BYU won't let them build the community within. And I think that's what's leading to this idea, this, this statistic of people don't feel like they're part of BYU because they have their BYU life and they have their queer life. And BYU has basically said those can't touch. They can't intersect. At least we won't let them. <laughs> we won't, we won't um, provide a bridge there. And so I think that would be really helpful too. And as far as allies go, allies can be really educated on resources too. And they can, um, they can know about all these things and they can reach out to queer people that they know and say, hey, I hear you're struggling with this. Here is a resource that I think will help you. And so I think allies can do a really good job in this era as well as we we kind of damage control and you know we're not allowed to have that resource center now but that's okay well we as a community will band together and we'll try and be as effective as we can and so yeah any comments on that um i love the way you've gone kind of one step further you presented the research results and then you've talked about sort of how to close the gaps here in a really thoughtful way i hope listeners picked up that Everything David said doesn't require a change of doctrine. It doesn't require us to not support our leaders. To me, these are things that we can do. And mm -hmm. I, I never thought, I'm aware there's no BYU club or resource center, but I didn't really connect the dots as much until you just talked about what's happening at BYU is people need community. So you're forming community outside of the BYU circle, but it's causing... And if that were in the BYU circle, then it it doesn't cre it creates more of a connection to BYU. If BYU, as its stewardship to provide for all students, had these sort of resources under the BYU umbrella, that sends a message to queer students. It also sends a message to straight students that whoever was sort of making those jokes that you had to move out of, maybe that changes the perception for straight students when they see BYU saying everybody belongs here and these are specific resources for LGBTQ students. Um, to me, community um, is just something that's needed for everybody as they're walking their unique road within a broader community of children of heavenly parents. We have communities all over the place for um, people. And so community to LGBTQ people to me is something that's really needed. So that was really helpful. I'd love you, you know, some people, you've heard this, um, this is a little bit of a tangent. Maybe it's okay to ask this now. Well, David, why don't you just leave BYU? Um, that is a question I get all the time. Oh so there's all these gaps here. <laughs> a lot of people aren't having a good experience. Um, if you don't like it, why not just leave? Why is that a really painful thing for you to hear? I I have... think it's painful. That's a leading question. A good <laughs> podcast yeah. host would ask an open-ended question. <laughs> I I mean. Like my response to that question is usually like, oh, good point. I hadn't thought of that. Like, like, of course I've thought about, about that. I have applied to the U, you know, I have, I have gone through the whole process of, of figuring out how my 
credits will transfer. I think that's a healthy part of being a queer BYU student and sort of a mandatory thing. Every BYU student, every queer BYU student should know how to transfer and they should know how their credits transfer and they should be prepared because I think it's a really empowering thing to say, no, I'm choosing to be at BYU and I choose to be here. I choose to be here every day and I have to re-choose to be here. But I, I do. I choose to be here. And um, I think my thoughts on this are like, well, if all the queer people left, is is that what you want? You know, like, if all the queer people left, BYU would be way worse off. And these kind of things would not happen. Queer people will always exist at BYU. And so if, if people... Um, if they leave, you know, if everyone leaves, the that leaves an even smaller minority that has to stand up for themselves. And and I think BYU is making progress. And I think it may be slow. It may be really hard to be a BYU student at at times. And you know, it may even be homophobic things over the pulpit in a devotional, or it could be comments um, from. BYU admin or, or professors, but in the end, I feel really empowered to try and put an end to those things. And, and other than that, like I do have so much support. I have support of my friends and I even have some professors. I, I knew about your book, Listen, Learn, and Love, because I saw it in my professor's um, office. Cool. <laughs> and I, you know, I see, I see safe, you know, safe space stickers and ally pins and stuff like that. And like, it makes it okay, you know, and yeah, it's hard, but it will be okay. And I will be okay. And so those are my thoughts. Um, really good thoughts. And, um, I would guess if I talked to you in high school when you're growing up in Arizona, you want to go to BYU. Part of your motivation for getting good grades, it's really hard to get into BYU. Um, it's a great was, school. I'm yeah. assuming the day that, however it came to you that you'd been admitted to BYU was a great day. Mm-hmm. And so I think we listeners, we just have to recognize there's a lot of people whose life dreams are to get into BYU and and they want to be there. It's a great academic experience and there are supportive people for queer people. And, and so I think it's really dismissive when we say to somebody who's having a difficult experience at BYU, we'll just leave. I think mm-hmm. that sort of takes our way, our baptism covenant to more and bear and comfort and keeps us kind of emotionally safe and just say, we'll just leave. Um, we don't, it's sort of like saying, we just want this straight normative, heteronormative college. But I think if we look at Jesus, I don't think that's what Jesus would do. He, he seemed to me to be a gatherer versus sifter. Everything mm-hmm. that I can see in his ministry as a gather is children and not sift them by these kind of shaming comments. Why don't you just leave? I do love in a, hey. and I love in a pragmatic way that you, and I think this is just smart, that you know what credits will transfer and just making really informed decision that if at some point this isn't going to work for you, 
I think that was really smart. And that's probably great advice to new BYU queer students, just sort of understanding this could become a reality of their experience and not to get surprised. So that was, that was, mm-hmm. a, that was really golden advice. But go ahead, David. Yeah, I wanted to add also many queer students do have to transfer. And I want to really validate space. that. Yeah. That um, I feel extremely blessed to like have the support that I need and to um yeah, to have have all the resources that I need in order to stay. Um I also acknowledged like for me, sometimes it's been, you know like decided on a hair. Like I could have, I could very well be at the U right now if, you know, X, Y, Z had not happened and worked out in a specific way. So I really want to like also mention that transferring is a great option for a lot of people. Um, there's another segment of this podcast, but while we're here, talk to um, high school age LDS students who really want to go to BYU and are queer. Um, yeah. What advice, and you may get those messages right now, and you may get some because <laughs> this podcast, but talk to that group, what general advice you'd give them. I, will, I won't be prescriptive. I won't say you should come to BYU or you shouldn't come to BYU, um, but I will say it's hard. It's hard to be at BYU, for sure. It's, it's hard to, for me, a struggle I have is I feel like I'm always fighting. I always am like fighting against homophobia and, and bigotry. And like, um, for me, it's really tiring and it can be kind of a, a weight on me to, to my success academically and in a lot of other ways. And so we need to acknowledge that for sure. And then also validate all the reasons you want to go to BYU, you know, everything that you're looking forward to at BYU Validate that. And honestly, it seems cheesy. Make a pro and con list and say, am I willing to have this good in, in exchange for this bad? You know, like I have a lot, a lot of sacrifice and you may experience burnout and, and so many things that come with the college experience and that are amplified by the queer BYU experience. Am I willing to do all this in exchange for this experience? Anyway, so I would say it's really a personal decision. I love that. That's a great answer. Um, keep sharing with the things you'd like to share with our listeners. Yeah, so I have one last thing, um, and it is value, is, is what we're talking about. Uh, everyone needs value. Everyone needs to feel valued. Um, and I think a really important thing in showing value for and showing that queer people are valued is visibility um is not being afraid to talk about queer things and you know we we see in florida this don't say gay bill um and i think that's kind of really colored my understanding of of my byu experience where i feel like we are in kind of a don't say gay (laughs) atmosphere um, where people are afraid to talk about it because they may offend a group or another group. And so I think saying gay, you know, talking about queer issues is so important. Um, and and calling, calling things what they are and, and showing every part of someone, you know, like 
we could have BYU social media accounts could tell stories of queer people and they could um, not be afraid to bring that up because I think that sort of visibility does a lot. I think we're really learning, we as the community are really learning how important visibility really is. Um, yesterday, the Y was lit in transgender colors um, for a little bit and then in rainbow colors. Um, and that was, for me, a really beautiful experience and kind of um, it, it gave me just like a little glimpse into what the world would look like without homophobia and, and transphobia. It gave me a glimpse into like, what would my BYU experience be without all of the baggage of, of hateful comments and that kind of a thing. And it gave me so much hope for like, like that people, more and more people are standing with the rainbow way. <laughs> More and more people are saying, no, this is a good thing. I'm so glad that it's happening. Um, just some comments that were um, on Instagram. Some people were saying, you know, pretty generic stuff. Like, I loved it. This is the best news ever. Um, best thing I've seen all semester. This makes me so proud. This is such a beautiful thing, you know, showing their support. But I also want to highlight that some people were immensely moved by the what happened last night. And I'm just going to read these. It's, it's things like this that make me think maybe I can get through school here. That is such a beautiful comment of hope. And after a hard day of nothing but transphobic headlines and vids, this brought me joy. Seeing the trans flag hit different. Nobody seems to care, but those people do. Those parents cared. And I, yeah, the, it was done by a group of moms and dads and, and parents. And I think that's another beautiful thing that, you know, us BYU students, we can't do it anymore. So the community stepped in and did it for us, which I think is another beautiful part of this. Another quote, I was with my friends and just started crying. The courage and love displayed tonight was chilling. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This was nothing short of a miracle for the LGBTQ plus community. It means everything to have people stand up for me. You make me feel safe. A powerful message that LGBTQ plus students aren't alone. And here's another story. Lately, I've been really worried if any BYU schools would be a safe space for me. I'm worried that I wouldn't have a community there. This encouraged me to get better grades and have the drive to be with a beautiful community. And that's someone that, this is a high school student looking at BYU. Um, everyone's eyes are on BYU. And so what, what we do really matters. Here's another, another comment. I was having a horrible day and was terrified about coming to Utah. And I spent 12 hours driving from Cali stressing about if people would be okay. And if people would be okay to, for me to be a bi trans person. And then I saw the Y lit up and I started crying happy tears. <laughs> and then this one, this last one was the most, um, this one moved me the most, I think. Like, it was the most uh, poignant. Seriously adding to my reasons to live list. <laughs> Thank you. Um, visibility literally saves lives. It literally will save lives. Um, and anyway, it's just so important. And I also want to point out um, that the more we're exposed to something, 
the more okay we're okay, the more okay we are with it. And the more something happens, the more people see the purpose of it, the more people um, know queer students and queer people, members of the church, the more people will love them and understand their experience. And so exposure is everything and love and courage are contagious. Um, and I just, visibility is so important. And I really want to stress that like, none of this is a contradiction to the church or BYU, BYU's mission or aims. And like you were saying earlier, Richard, we can do this. this these are all things that we can do. We don't have to change doctrine in order to do any of these things that I was saying we should, we should do. We don't need to change doctrine to make LGBTQ plus people feel safe or welcome or valid or included or connected or valued. There's so much that we can do now in this space to, to increase these, this wellness, the, all these wellness um, measures of queer people. Those comments brought tears to my eyes, David. Um, for context listeners, and sometimes you listen to these podcasts after an event, we're recording this on March 20th and on March 19th, 2022, the Y was lit up um, first in trans, trans colors for the first time ever, and then um, traditional pride colors. And I love, you know, I've been tweeting a lot about my trans friends and just felt they need extra air cover right now. Um, but these, here's the things I wrote down as you're reading these comments, David, is it didn't cost straight people anything. Mm-hmm. It's not like having the why lit up or visibility, I think is the principle here. I think the why is a deliverable of visibility. I, you come back to that word over and over again and value. So to me, the visibility is the principle here. We kind of in their church go to principles mm-hmm. and Perhaps we need the lie lit up, lit up by allies right now to just give visibility. As BYU, hopefully, you'll do a better job of creating visibility within the BYU umbrella that you talked about earlier. And maybe we won't need to light up a why at that point, or maybe BYU will light it up. I have no idea. That but would my, be the goal. That would be awesome. Be good, but, you know, some people say, why, why do we need to do this? And I think... As you pointed out earlier in the podcast, straight people are having a a really generally good experience at BYU. And to have um, visibility for LGBTQ, it's not like a fixed pie game where we just made it less happy for straight people. Their lives are just the same. I've got a straight son at BYU, and that didn't cost him anything. Um, His life didn't change at all just because these comments were made possible. And if you look at these comments... I wrote down the word hope and what a gift you give to other people to give them hope. Um, Seriously adding to my reasons to live list. The woman, I think it was a woman, but it might have, I don't know if I know that it was somebody driving from California, um, a bi trans person. Um, And then that teenager wondering if he or she could come. So to me, the, the, the value or the benefit of, visibility is hope and belonging and Zion. I also wrote down, we have these terms in our church that I think of differently as I've aged into this space and aging in general, but I think of peculiar people. 
and you and your podcast said we should as Latter-day Saints should be the best at this. Um, I think our doctrine allows us because we all voted for the same plan in the pre-existence. We're all spirit children of the same heavenly parents. We um, we should be the best at loving and supporting because we're and so we should be a peculiar people and be known as leading on LGBTQ and being kind and inclusive. And everything you've said here doesn't require us to change doctrine, as we both pointed out. I also recognize that we're talking a lot about the gathering of Israel. And listeners, I've in my earlier days, I would have thought about the couple that's praying for the restored gospel. The missionaries are knocking on the door right after the prayer. And that's part of gathering of Israel. And many of you have had experiences. But to me, gathering of Israel is queer BYU students and queer Latter-day Saints. And they're part of Israel. And they feel pretty sifted at times. Yeah. Um, and so the things that you've suggested and the things other people are trying to do at BYU, administrators, faculty, fellow ally students, queer students, to me, that's gathering of Israel. It's what President Nelson's talked about. He hasn't talked about it in these terms, but I think he's teaching a principle that's part of our doctrine. He's teaching our doctrine. And we're called to gather. And Israel, you are Israel, <laughs> David. And we need well, you. And we're going to lose. We're going to lose so much. Like, we have so much to lose. If we, if we don't act soon to include our queer brothers and sisters and siblings into BYU, but also into the church in general, there, there's so much at stake here. You know, um, this is like, <laughs> this is someone's entire life, their entire perceptions of, of God and spirituality that can be ruined by harmful comments and, and by, you know, yeah, by potential abuse of, of power in a lot of ways. Um, I'm just deeply moved. You give me hope, David. Um, I hope, say again your age. You told me and I forgot already. And I'm 23. So listeners, um, when I interview somebody, sometimes it's David's pretty young guy, at least compared to me. I just I hope you recognize this is a 23-year-old. <laughs> Um, we talk about the great last generation, or I think the principle is there at each generation is a little better than our generation. And I look at where you are at 23, David, and all this internalized homophobia seems to be out of you, and you're not dealing with this with, for another couple decades, and sort of the impact on you negatively, it's all out of you. Maybe there's a little bit. I, I didn't pick up any. You were very comfortable. No, I'm sure. No, there is. <laughs> It's, it's a struggle, but You're yeah. very comfortable with who you are. You're very honest about you, who you are. And to me, that puts you in an emotional, much better place to just have a relationship with your heavenly parents and make good decisions for the rest of your life. Just to be your very, I think you're very, you're your very best personal self you've ever been right now. Um, and that doesn't mean you're at the finish line, but to me, it gives me hope that I'm not talking to you at 43, getting to this point. It took you two more decades and so, listeners, I think that's um, an improvement in our in our culture and our church society. And but it's especially credit to you and all the other queer people in your circle and in the church that are listening. Just that you were able to um, be in a better spot earlier that I think allows you to make better decisions going forward. Um, but to me, the things that David suggested and the message he's shared and the research. 
what I do these podcast listeners, I, I just invite us all to do what we can do in our circle. If you're an ally, it may not be your thing to go light the why. It may be your thing to go light the why. It may be your thing to go talk to a stake president, say, can we talk about this in our ward? Or can we talk about this in our family? So you got to kind of write your own story if you're an ally, the best way to be an ally. And you can listen to other stories and it gives you ideas. But I just, I think we both invite you if you're an ally to, to just act on the impressions you felt. If you're a parent, there's some really wonderful principles of just saying kind things about LGBTQ people, even if you don't think anybody in your family or your young kids or your teenage kids are queer, it just teaches a principle that you're a safe person so that people can open up to you about the realities of your life. Um, Whatever's going on with them, those can be our greatest moments as parents. If you're a local leader, saying, I remember, and you've heard this story, listeners, just saying kind things the last year of being a wise say bishop about gay people on social media. And it was just the church, what the church taught. And I was stunned. Actually, no more gay people came out to me, but some straight students, some straight members just said, okay, I can talk to this guy. I've never really been mm-hmm. able to talk to this guy about this before. I just get he's safe. And isn't that a blessing then we can walk with somebody and they can open up to us. And I would guess, David, you're an incredibly safe person for straight and queer students at BYU. I bet you got straight people that are saying, okay, I, I, I need to, David's safe for me to talk about the reality of my life. He sort of gets complexity. Um, I'm going to go talk to David. So share some thoughts on all that, David. Yeah. And this is what I'm talking about when I say that BYU and the church has so much to lose if they don't, if we don't accept queer people, um, because it's, it's more than just, it's more than just, you know, we may have less hymns because, <laughs> you know, lots of the hymns were written by queer people. And it's not just, you know, it's, it's not, it's so much more than that. It's, we become a more accepting people when we learn to accept different people. <laughs> um, and I also just wanted to, point out too that just like I at times am at you know deciding on a hair whether it's BYU or another school and transferring people are like that me myself included about the church as well and I think we just need to also um have lots of compassion for those that that choose something that we don't you know some we, we need to have so much compassion for um for those who leave the church because of this you know they may they may not be you know my myself included I, I keep saying they but I think I'm definitely in this place of like I don't know how long I could do this and you know this may be um this may my time in the church may have an expiration date <laughs> if if certain things don't happen you know but I I know that I don't have to worry about my family disowning me, (laughs) but I know other people do. I I don't have to worry about, um, you know, not being invited to to family things. I know that my family will always love me Um, and they may say the wrong things and they may, you know, they may be homophobic at times maybe, but they're trying. And that's all I'm asking is that families of queer people try and and that they um 
that they try to understand how difficult it is and and show show that kindness and compassion that we have been taught from the beginning you know we've been taught since we're kids to to be nice to others and i think that's kind of the message of this whole podcast you know not just this episode but all the episodes let's just like love <laughs> you know let's just let love prevail and let um differences of opinion and other things let's just you know we can talk about them sometimes but they shouldn't dictate whether or not we love someone so well said and i think i've always felt that you know loving our heavenly father the way we do that best our heavenly parents is how we treat and love others and sometimes we set up this dichotomy in our culture I don't think it's part of Christ's doctrine that to fully love and follow our Heavenly Father, we need to stop loving some of His children. I think the best way we do love them is the way we treat everybody. And the reality is the reality you just shared with us that some queer members, some straight members separate themselves from the church. And listeners, I always invite everybody to stay in the church, but if they feel their best path forward is to separate themselves from the church, I just say, I'll walk with you. Um, it's sort of this unconditional love where I'll just walk with you and support you and what you feel is your best life path forward and I'll leave any judgment which I'm supposed to do to our Savior and that's kind of relieving I'm not in charge of you David <laughs> um, and um, just honor the agency that's part of mortality that's a doctrinal point I think if your parents are listening I think this is a credit to mom and dad shill for David. Um, it's probably not what you'd expect that when David was born that he would be a queer Latter-day Saint on a podcast, but I think this is a parental home run for the son you've raised and the principles he has and the man he is and the life he has lived and the people that are better off in Italy because of his mission and the work he's doing at BYU. It doesn't show up on your LDS tools calling profile, but it's saving lives, David. And these messages that you read are just terrific. And you've got a great life ahead of you. And your parents are instilled principles with you that will allow you to have a wonderful life. And and so shout out to your parents if they're listening. And I think you kind of gave them a shout out first anyway. Um, I just, you know, love is the healing balm. Elder Uchtdorf talks about that. It's the healing balm. And I think that um, that's what we need to practice more. And to me, that's part of creating Zion. So just a terrific podcast. Um, listeners, as I mentioned, and David mentioned, we'll link to his Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram in the show notes. So if you want to message him, you can just DM on any of those platforms. We'll also um, list put this research um, from BYU in the show notes. It's a pretty great discussion point in your family, in a ward council, a state council. Just talk about these gaps and say they're probably out queer members in our warden stake. What can we do to close these gaps? Even if we don't have anybody that's out, they're there. Um, David, just I, I agree with David. They're there. Um, so we'll include that and um, just invite you to act on the impressions that you have on um, if you're queer. David's given you some great thoughts about your best path forward. And if you were trying to help in this space as parents or allies, and I'll just turn it back to you, David, for any last comments. 
Um, well, I thank you so much for having me here. Um, I'm glad that I could I could share this. I think I always um I always want to make sure that we follow principles of like love and acceptance and you know and unconditional love. And you know, no matter what someone does, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to me, it doesn't affect me. You know, there are these principles that I think are really important that we covered, but I'm also glad that we really covered some really solid action items of um of what what can we actually like reasonably do you know um what can we do in this space of of the church and byu um within reasonable reasonable things that we can do um within the doctrine as it is right now and you know like what is it these are actual things that are possible that could improve these things so i really i would hope that um that people take away from this podcast that there's so much work to do and there's so much, you know, things that can actually happen. You know, some, some people may set the standard at the ceiling for BYU um, and say, you know, we will only accept this. But in reality, if we really focus on these little things, these little changes to increase the wellness of, of, queer people that we can eventually build up to the ceiling and we can eventually, you know, do even better. And I think, I think the goal is just progress that we're always moving forward. And, you know, sometimes we'll regress, take a few steps back, but we're always trudging. Like um, we're always pushing forward. Love that. So listeners will sign off. This is David Schill and Richard Osler signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. Mm-hmm.